Take your Bible today, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, and then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians, chapter 9. As I said, we're in our eighth week of our Oxygen series. We're talking about the essential elements of life. Last week, I started a two-part message on giving. Yes, we are talking about money. Um, and we're talking about money because it's essential to life. How many of you need money to live? Okay, I, all of us, all of us do. My father-in-law told me when I was about to marry his daughter, I said, um, I want your permission to marry your daughter. And he looked at me and he said, I don't think that's a very good idea. Now, he was just joking, I think, but they had talked him into it. We were, I was 20, she was 19, and he let us get married. I didn't have much of a job at the time. Um, and he told me this. He said, you can't live on love. And I was like, oh yeah, I think we we got a lot of loves to share right here, okay? But you know what? He was speaking from experience. I mean, he struggled through much of his early marriage and was saying, hey, I don't want you to struggle. You gotta have a job. You gotta be able to support your family. And so to do that, it takes what? It takes money. And so we're talking about money because if we're not in control of our money, our money will be in control of us. And we talked about Last week we talked about money, we talked about the spirit of mammon, we talked about giving, and today we're going to talk more about giving. And if you'll remember, I gave you two types of giving. Uh, first was the tithes and offerings, and then second was charitable gifts. Jesus talked a lot about giving, and Jesus talked a lot about giving for several reasons. But first I want to tell you, and you may not know this, that Jesus talked more about, about money and giving than he did about heaven and hell. Did you know that? He talked more about money and giving than he did about faith and prayer. And so if I was to follow Jesus' model on teaching about giving, I would have to teach on giving about every third Sunday. Are we down with that? We got one. Okay, we're, we're on a roll here. Got two maybe. So um, Jesus talked a lot about money. And the reason he did is because he knew that it was an essential element to life. He also talked about money and giving a lot because he knew that money had the power to grip our hearts. Remember what he said about that? He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So he knew that. He knew that money could potentially be a roadblock on our journey of discipleship and that it could hinder our relationship with God. But ultimately and essentially, he knew that it would influence what and how we worship. That's why Jesus talks so much about money and giving. And so that's why when it comes to money, we have to have open hands and open hearts and the willingness to give and to, to share because it's so important to do so. Establishing a healthy pattern of giving helps keep our heart in the right place when it comes to money. And so with that said, I want to talk today not just about tithes and offerings, which are Tithes and offerings and charitable giving is different, okay? So just let me give this to you right up front. Tithes and offerings is obedience to God. It's giving to the body of Christ for the operation of the ministry. Charitable gifts are what the Bible call alms, okay? That's what it calls uh, charitable giving or charitable gifts. And what that means is, is that you're blessing others. It's about generosity. It's seeing a need and giving toward meeting that need. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 here in just a minute. But when Jesus spoke these words in Matthew 6, he did so to a mixed group of people. There were several people in the audience that day when he was speaking this word. And 
many of these people had a twisted theology. They had a twisted view of, of who God was, the uh, misconceptions, misunderstandings of, of who He was. And last week, we I hope that you came to the conclusion that God is a giver and not a taker. Did you think about that this week? Did you write your conclusion? That God is a giver and not a taker. And Jesus knew that God the Father was a giver. And everything that He's talking about in giving, He's doing so believing and knowing that God is a giver. And so... Uh, he wanted to help people understand who God was. And so he addressed this issue first of prayer. And we talked about prayer for a couple of weeks. And then he addressed this issue of giving. And what uh, we see here is he's talking about in this passage, the giving of alms or charitable gifts. And it's the principle of generosity. And what I mean by generosity, it's simply this. And it's an expression of love from one person to another. That's what generosity is. It's an expression of love from one person to another. Generosity is the heart of God and generosity moves the heart of God. God is a generous God and he loves giving. So generosity is rooted in compassionate love. And we look at God and we look at Jesus and what he taught in the New Testament. And we know that one of the base things that he gave us was the great commandment. You know what the great commandment is, right? We've talked about this a lot. This is part of our DNA. It's part of who we are as the church. We want to love God and love people. He said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. So that is about compassionate, deep, generous giving. And what I want you to know is that our life or our love is measured by our generosity. I looked up the word generous, and generous is, when I think of generous, I think of a spirit. The spirit in which I'm giving. But that's not at all what generous means. You know what generous means? Generous means large. It means plentiful. It means substantial, liberal. It means magnanimous, if you've never heard that word. That's what that means. To be generous means to give in large supply and our love is measured by our generosity. Bernard Meltzer said this, that we, we may give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. And God has called us to give out of our love. And so here's what Jesus said about it in Matthew chapter 6. First says, he first says, take heed. That word, that phrase means beware. Just means beware. Beware that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your heavenly Father. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that you may have glory from men. So we're going to stop right there. And what Jesus was saying is, is basically when you, when you give, you want to do so not to get people's attention so they can see how good you are by the gifts you give. And when he uses the word reward, he is, it literally means to receive the receipt for. So if you go to Target or go to Walmart and you buy something, they give you a receipt and that means the sale is final. It means that they owe you nothing in product and you know, you owe them nothing in payment. It means the sale is final. It's, it's settled. And what, what Jesus is saying here is that if you give before men in, in the open, to get praise of men, then you get a receipt for that. There's nothing owed. There's nothing that should be paid to you. There's nothing that you owe to that. The, the sale is final. It means you got your reward. You got the praise of men. But then he goes on and he says, Assuredly, I say to you, 
they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will Himself reward you openly. Have you ever wondered what it means to not let your right hand or your left hand know what your right hand is doing? You ever wondered what that means? Here's what it means. Our hands have a task. Think about walking. Think about going. Think about living your life. And the hands, you know, the hands sway a little bit, right? They, they, they help with the motion of walking. And, and the idea is, is that you're living life and you give in a way that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. That the left hand just keeps doing its job while the right hand reaches into the pocket and gives to a need without any thought, without any glamour, without any attention. That's just the way your generous giving happens. You see a need, you reach in, you get the money, and you give toward the need. It really doesn't take a whole lot of thought. It really doesn't take a whole lot of prayer. It just flows out of a generous heart. Do you understand? That's what Jesus is saying here. That's, that is challenging to me because when I'm asked to give, I like to have all the information. I like to know where the money's going. I like to know how it's going to be spent. So I like to think and pray about it. You know what generally happens when I do that? I don't give. Simple as that. If I think about it and pray about it too long, I'm just not going to give because I justify the fact that maybe I shouldn't give. That the cause isn't good enough. The cause isn't noble enough. And so I'm challenged to just as I'm living my life, just to reach in my pocket and give to a need without my left hand knowing what my right hand's doing. That's what Jesus is saying. And so he's addressing this idea of giving and he is sowing this idea, this principle of generosity into the fabric of who we are as the church. And if you read the New Testament, you'll know that generosity was the DNA of the New Testament church. You look at Acts chapter 2, you'll see the church was very giving. They sold a lot of their material possessions to give to needs so that people could just have their basic needs met. And there's a man in Acts chapter 10, his name is Cornelius. Have you ever heard of Cornelius? Have you ever read about him? He's not mentioned anywhere before Acts chapter 10. He's not mentioned anywhere after Acts chapter 10. But this is what it says about Cornelius. It says that Cornelius, first of all, he was undoubtedly connected to this early church. But it says about him that he was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. And he gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continually to God. And listen to what the Lord spoke to him. The Lord was saying, Cornelius, Cornelius, getting his attention. And he says, your prayers and your alms, your charitable giving, have ascended as a memorial before God. And so God knew Cornelius because of his, the prayers that he prayed and because of his generous giving. Wouldn't that be awesome to have that kind of testimony before God? That, that he was known for the prayers that he prayed and the generous gifts that he gave to people to meet their needs? So that's how God knew Cornelius. And that was a way of life that took place in the early church. And that was passed on from generation to generation. It was widespread across the region. And so as we get into 2 Corinthians, Jesus started this idea of generous giving. It's passed down to the disciples and sewn into the fabric of the early church. And Paul takes it. 
Paul the Apostle takes it and he's planting churches and he's building these churches with the idea that you got to be a giver. you got to be a giver, a generous giver. And you got to be a free giver. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul was dealing with an issue. He was dealing with a people that were struggling, a church that was struggling in Jerusalem. And so he began to lead these churches that he had planted all over the region to be givers. That when they see a need, that they'd be willing to meet the need. These weren't poor people or poor families. This was a poor church. It was a church that had been fleeced by outsiders and they'd been persecuted so greatly that the church was having a hard time surviving. So Paul writes letters. He is, he is motivating the churches to give and many of the churches that he had planted had begun to give generously to meet the need in the church in Jerusalem. He writes the letter to, to the Corinthians and the Corinthians were people who were doing well. I mean, in Corinth, life was good. They had enough and they had some left over that they could have shared with others. But they were having a hard time letting go of their money. Does that sound familiar? It's the way we are many times in our church and our churches is that we have plenty and the more we want, the more we have, the more we want. The more we get, the more we want. And the more we get, the more debt we have, the more money it takes to live. And so we have a hard time sharing. And this church was having a hard time Sharing. And so Paul wrote the letter and he said this to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He said, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that Having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So he's, he is motivating them to be givers. Sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. You sow it, you're going to get back, right? And so you never see God ask people to give to where there's not this promise and this expectation to get back from the giving and to receive back from what you've given. So it's not, there's not a problem with wanting to give and wanting to receive from giving, but here's the problem. The problem comes is when you give to get. You understand the attitude behind it? There's, we're expecting that we're going to get back when we give, but the problem is, is when our motivation to give is to get back. But Paul does answer the question. What's in it for me? Because we always ask that question when we're spending our money, when we're investing our money. We want to know what's in it for me. And so he answered the question in verse 11. He says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. So we're talking about giving of money. And so Winston Churchill said this, one of my favorite quotes. He says, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. 
And the lesson there is that we give to live. We give to live. Giving is about generating life. And what, what Churchill is saying is that when we tap into the power of giving, and until we tap into the power of giving, we're missing out on life's fulfillment, on life's purpose, that God created us to be givers. And so we're asking the question, what's in it for us? Here's what Paul said. I'm going to give you four things real quickly. This is why we should be givers. Outside of the fact that we're called to do it, it's obedience to God. But here's the other things that might motivate you and convince you to be a giver. Number one is generosity enriches your life. It's in verse 11. The practice of giving is great for the person who receives the gift, but it was created for the person who gives the gift. It's between you and God. When you give, it's a, it's a measurement of your spiritual level, your spiritual condition. God's taking inventory on your heart and He measures that by our giving. Not by the amount, but by the frequency and the attitude behind the giving. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Proverbs 11, verse 24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Do you get it? It's the principle of generosity. It's sowing and reaping. You give and it will be given back to you. Napoleon Hill said, Great achievement is usually born of great sacrifice and is never the result of selfishness. So we're called to give. Generosity enriches the life of the giver. Number two is generosity meets the needs of others. In verse 12. Verse 12 he says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. And by using that phrase, not only, it means there's something else. And we'll talk about the something else here in just a second. But what's it doing? It's meeting the needs of the saints. So where was the giving going? The giving wasn't going to every person, every single person who came by who had a need. Listen, I've been in ministry for 24-ish years. And I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of people who are begging for your money. At our church, we get calls every day of ministries wanting money. We have people wanting to plant churches. We have people wanting to go on the mission field. We have services and resources who are asking for our money. We have people who are asking us to pay their rent and pay their electric bill and pay their water bill and give them $5 for gas to get get down the road. I don't know if they know this or not, but $5 of gas won't get you very far. And so when somebody asks me for $5 of gas, I know that they need less than a gallon and they're just looking to get to the next to the next place to ask for more money. And my answer is always no. And the reason it's always no is because I'm in the business to equip people for life. And what I mean by that is I want to empower people to live. There's a saying that says that you can give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, but you can teach a man to fish and you feed him for life. And that's the principle on what I want to build my life on and what I, how I want to um, manage my giving and to discern on who I should give to and who I shouldn't give to. But when we give to needs that are legitimate needs, Scripture kind of helps us determine on who that should be. He says to the saints. 
And when I say the saints, I mean the believers, the people you're in fellowship with, the people that you're doing life with. And that's why a lot of the hospitality and the generosity that you see come from Clearpoint Church happens through our life groups. There are a lot of people who go with unmet needs that should be met by the church because they're not connected to God's people. But let me tell you this, there are a lot of needs that are met that you never hear about that happen in our life groups because people are connected to God's people. And when there's a heart connection and when there's knowing someone, when there's intimacy, there's a desire to help people when they're in need. Would you say amen to that? Have you experienced that? That's what I've experienced. But generosity meets the needs of other people. And so, let me ask you this question. Who is going without because we haven't given? What needs are going without being met because we haven't given? What ministry is not flourishing because we haven't given? Let's change our language a little bit. Who has their needs met because we have given? Can you measure that? What ministry is flourishing because we have given? What does God want to do with the money that we haven't given yet? That's giving in faith and believing that God is going to do something great with the money that He's put in our pockets that He's calling us to give from. So there's just some things to think about when we think about giving. Generosity meets the needs of others. Third, generosity generates gratitude. Generosity generates gratitude. It's in verse 12. It says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So how does generosity translate into thanksgiving? Well, people who are truly in need and who receive your gift, they'll give thanks. They'll give thanks. You know what it takes to have or to receive a gift that really meets a need? It takes a humble, humble attitude. There are a lot of people who have a lot of needs that never ask. For one, they don't want to ask for help. That's a sign of pride. So if you're a person in need, ask. Ask. Lay down the pride, humble yourself, and ask. I remember Heather and I were moving from Fort Worth to Conroe, Texas back in 1999. And we had just bought a home in Fort Worth six months before. And we had a ministry opportunity presented to us that... Um, I believe was God leading us to a new place, to a new level, to minister to a lot of different people in a different way. And if we had looked at the, the reasonable facts, we had never been able to do it. But we chose to step out in faith, somewhat faith, somewhat foolishness probably. And we moved to Conroe, Texas. But what we did not calculate and what we believed that God would meet the need on is paying rent or mortgage on two homes, having a little bit of debt and student loans and having two car payments as a young family and just being young as parents and not really knowing how to manage all that. And Here's what happened. Went to associate pastor and I said, hey, we're having a lot of problem here. We can't pay our bills. We're having a hard time making it. Heather told me that she was going to move back to Fort Worth until we sold the house. 
And uh, what am I going to do? I'll be here by myself. And I shared all my heart with this guy. And he said this profound, profound words. And I hope this helps you. He said, well, looks like you've been given a great opportunity to trust God. I said, no, wait, I need money. I need help. And I want you to know from that, we had a man who came forward and said, hey, I know you guys are struggling. He's a businessman. He had he had a lot of money. And he said, I want I want to help meet the need. And for six months, he contributed to our family to make sure that we could live and do the ministry that we needed to do until we sold our home and got back upright on our feet. But listen, it took a lot of humility as a man to go in there and say, hey, I have a financial need. I can't do this on my own. I need help. Sometimes we just have to ask for help. And when the guy began to meet our need, Heather and I were grateful. Grateful. And we're grateful for the people who have helped us and supported us through life, through ministry, through difficulties. That's what doing life together is about. See, generosity should generate gratitude. Have you been given a great gift? Have you been given a lot? Well, it should overflow into gratitude. And what Paul was saying is, as you give to this church, they're going to be grateful. It won't go unnoticed. You're sowing a seed that's going to reap great reward and great fruit for the kingdom of God. And that leads us to number four. Generosity leads others to Christ. Verse 13 says this. It's about the living witness of the giver. He says in verse 13, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. And so what he was saying is, is you're going to sow this seed and they're going to have a need met that is so uncommon that people are going to look at the church and say, hey, there's something different about those people. They don't leave their own behind. They don't forget their own. They take care of each other. They meet each other's needs to the point where they're selling all their possessions and giving money to meet needs. That's what the church was based on. That's the foundation of the church is generosity. And all glory will be given to God. And God says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And I'll just say, when you experience the giving and the generosity of people in your life, you know it's not natural. You know it comes from God. And you say, I want some of that. I want some of that. But today I want to challenge you to think about your giving. And know that the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, to whom much is given, much is required. I don't know where you are financially, but that's the least of your worries. We've been given a great deal. And the greatest gift we've ever been given happened on the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you're like me, I grew up in Sunday school. I grew up hearing about Jesus. I grew up going on vacations with Grandma who had this little loaf of bread. It was a ceramic jar thing. And it had all these Bible verses in it. She still has it. She's 86 and she still whips it out on the great-grandkids, okay? It's about memorizing verses. She's, she's pushing, she's trying to feed her grandchildren. Been hearing about Jesus all my life. Came to a relationship with Jesus. And when I came into a relationship with Jesus, it was all about what 
can I get and all about what I don't want. It was all about I don't want to go to hell, so I want Jesus. And what I realized is the cross was very, 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 very small to me. The sacrifice, the payment was very small to me. I just knew that I wanted that because I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't know what else it entailed. But as I grew, and as we grow in our relationship, we begin to understand, we begin growing closer to God, the, the cross becomes a little bigger for us. And we begin to identify with it. I mean, we'll even wear it um, in our, you know, like earrings and necklace. We'll, we'll wear it because we want to identify. We want people to identify that we are Christian people. We belong to a certain faith, and this is the symbol of our faith. And as long as we're wearing our cross, and as long as we're saying our prayers in the right way, then we must be good. But when we begin to understand the gift that was given, the cross begins to grow to become a lot bigger than we can ever imagine. And it becomes a lot bigger than something that we can put in our pocket, or something that we can that we can wear around our neck, it becomes something that we can't carry with us physically everywhere we go. But it becomes more about love and sacrifice and giving and generosity. And it becomes something more than just a symbol that we identify with. It becomes our identity. And when this is our identity, it becomes our life. It becomes not just something we do, it becomes who we are. When God called us into the kingdom, when God saved us through the blood of Jesus by the sacrifice of His Son, He changed our whole world. And our world became a whole lot more about taking And it became a whole lot more about giving. And so today, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to coerce you. I'm not trying to say, hey, we need you to give more money. I'm trying to tell you that I want to equip you and I want you to experience the best of what God has to give you as a child of God. It's all wrapped up in this package. It's all about the cross. It's all about giving from what we received. And when we understand what we've received, we live with open hands and open hearts, willing to give to meet a need. And knowing that we belong to a Father who loves His children and will never leave us fatherless. He'll never leave us homeless. He'll never leave us without. He'll meet every need according to His riches and glory. That's the Father we serve. The greatest gift. Amen. The greatest gift we've ever received is His Son, Jesus. And today, if you've never experienced that gift, we invite you to do so. Let's stand together. I want to ask Philip and our worship team to come. ask our prayer team to come and be available here. You know, this giving thing, it's all about a heart. It's all about a heart, and when Christ and His Spirit is in our hearts, He's moving us to give. And uh, today I'm not asking you to come and give an offering. I'm coming. I'm asking you to come to this altar and give Christ your heart, to give Him your life, 
to receive the gift of salvation and forgiveness and freedom that He has to give. But you give Him your life. And maybe today there are things in your life that you need to lay down, things you need to need prayer for. These guys are available to help you, to pray for you, to lead you, and just to help bear your burdens, to give you some encouragement, to lead you to the Father who loves and gives and wants His people, His children, to embrace it and to resemble the Father that loves them so much. You come as we're led this morning.